The reading is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 39, and is on page 791 of your pew Bible. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house of Bezalel, how many more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not be made known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what I hear you whispered, proclaim from the housetop. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Matthew's 10th chapter requires your imagination. Because we hear it as those <clears throat> who already know. Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected, but that comes later, of course, in the gospel story. For the original followers of Jesus, all they know by this point in Matthew's Gospel, by chapter 10, is that John the Baptist had provided an excellent recommendation for Jesus. They've heard Jesus teach. Some of what he says really upsets the authorities. They've seen that go down. They've seen him heal. They've seen him heal a leper. They've seen him heal the servant of a Roman soldier, of all people. They've seen him exercise a man suffering with a, a demon, just to name a few of the kind of people that Jesus has gone out of his way to be with. They've even seen him at this point calm a storm. Nobody is certain yet, though, what it all means. So with your imagination, if you were among those who had heard or seen about what Jesus was doing by this point in the story, why follow him? What would be compelling enough for you to follow him? If I was a reporter sent to be embedded with the followers of Jesus at this, at this juncture of Matthew's story, I, I would guess I'd hear a variety of responses. Some maybe are hoping for a healing of their own or for someone they love. Maybe I'd hear from some philosophical types that they're there for the wisdom that comes from the teachings of Jesus. 
I wonder how many might admit, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm following, but I just, I know I need to be here. I know I need to be with these people who were following him. The gospel writer Matthew in his ninth chapter has just gotten done sharing stories of healings and teachings as Jesus was going about cities and villages. As chapter 10 begins, though, he recounts a specific moment that's unlike any other. Jesus summoned the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness. This is an incredible moment. I mean, it completely transforms expectations of what following Jesus might be all about. What's happening here is so much more than mortal people simply receiving wisdom or a healing from this God-man. Here, each follower becomes a healer. Jesus doesn't allow them to be simple consumers of religion. They're given authority to go do God's kind of mercy themselves. They're given instructions to go use God's wisdom in the world, not just keep it for themselves. They're told where to go, where not to go as well, what to do, and how to handle those who are open to the good news of God's mercy and how to navigate those who are not interested in God's kind of mercy. You might remember it's uh, take your sandals, shake, them, shake the dust off, and get out. And then he says this, See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You will be flogged, beaten, and betrayed. You'll be hated because of me. That is quite a recruiting speech. In just a couple paragraphs, the idea that following Jesus is a spectator sport, it gets turned on its head. Get that classroom teacher setting where Jesus is simply teacher and followers are permanent students out of your mind. Following Jesus is not a, a passive theoretical idea that only gets to be argued about. Jesus as teacher provides his learners with field work. He sends those disciples out of the classroom to do, to be, for the world. I wonder if this is what any of them signed up for. <laughs> At this point, with what they've heard and seen in him, well, would you have understood that following this Jesus might lead to danger for yourself? As though you were going to be like a sheep among wolves? But he heals, he teaches, he does amazing things. How can following this healer, this teacher, how could it become dangerous for me? How could repeating his words get me in trouble? Everything he says is rooted in the love of God. How could spreading the teachings of Jesus get anybody flogged or beaten? He's just teaching abundant life. The truth is, Jesus' words and Jesus' teachings still get people in trouble in 2023. People like you. People like me. Why? Because the love of God is clearly not only for me or any one of us. Abundant life is not provided for just me. 
Jesus makes it clear time and time and time again that the grace and mercies of God are made available to me and to you so that we would share in God's gifts with others, especially others who are on the margins of society, the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger, as he says in the Sermon on the Mount. And those kind of people, although loved by God, are oftentimes not loved so much by the powerful, the privileged, or the self-righteous religious types. It was true then, and it's still true today. If a reporter asked us, why do you follow Jesus? I think our answers might be similar to those original seekers and what their answers might have been. Some of us might say something like, well, I'm looking for a healing for me. Maybe a, a physical one, but more likely an emotional kind of healing, or, or maybe it's a spiritual kind of healing. I think many of us might say something like, well, I, I appreciate the teachings of Jesus, the wisdom of the golden rule, for example, which Matthew himself wrote down in chapter 7. Maybe that's why I follow. And I think some of us would admit, I don't know. I'm not sure. I just, I know I need to be here with Jesus, whatever that might mean, with his followers. To get in trouble, though, with the powerful, the privileged, or the self-righteous religious types, I would suspect, would not be among the top responses heard by any reporter asking us why we're here. To then get sent into the midst of wolves as sheep? That's not what we typically think church is or what it's for. Maybe because we don't return to Matthew chapter 10 often enough. Follow Jesus, and by definition, we're going to stir up trouble. Jesus does, and like he says, a disciple, a follower, is not above a teacher. If they've called the master of the house a devil, how much more are they going to malign those of his household? We, of course, follow someone who got himself killed for saying and doing things that upset the powerful, the privileged, and the self-righteous religious types of his day. Jesus is saying, if I get in trouble for proclaiming God's grace and mercy, you will too. A follower is not above the teacher. So this all gets at the heart of the question, what is church for? Many of us have been conditioned to believe the church exists to provide me with comfort Comfort when I want it or maybe when I need it. And how that gets delivered to me, how comfort gets delivered, is primarily through fellowship, learning, maybe some entertaining worship, or clever programming for my kids. Being in fellowship, consuming the good news of God, makes me feel better and hopefully be better. Jesus was born into this world to suffer, die, and rise for me. What is church for? Me. That's been a dominant message in the whole church for a very long time, that Jesus came to save me. For what, though? If my me and your me is all the church is for, then God's love is sent out into a billion dead ends. 
God's grace is cast into Jason where it then stops. Because his me is set righteous. Matthew, the gospel writer, offers a much different vision for the church than that. Jesus tasks his followers with more, way more than to just sit passively and receive salvation for their own sake. And here's the thing, saying that, what I just said, may not sound terribly controversial to you, but it's at the heart of what brings Jesus to a cross. Or maybe I should say, it's at the heart of what brings a cross to Jesus. It's at the heart of why his followers are persecuted. It's at the heart of why our social media at First Lutheran this past month has received more negative and sometimes hate-filled comments in just a month than we've ever received cumulatively since we started putting things online. Saying this, that Jesus tasks his followers with more than to just sit passively and receive salvation for their own sake, stirs up trouble because the powerful, the privileged, and the self-righteous among us want to make the good news of Jesus smaller, more scarce, more personalized, more difficult to achieve or earn or figure out. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gives his followers authority to do things that Jesus would do for the kind of people Jesus cared about, which means all people, even the meek, even the poor, even the hungry, lepers, who of course are stand-ins for the icky people of the day, whoever society labels as the icky ones society always labels somebody as the icky people, the lepers of their day. And all people also includes Gentiles who are stand-ins, not just for rivals, but for enemies. People we're supposed to hate because society always labels somebody as the enemy of the day too. For Jesus doing things, saying things rooted in the radical mercy of a God who loves everyone, all the world, that got him killed. And he's just being honest with those who are following him that it's going to stir up trouble when they do it too. So this sounds like bad news <laughs> to those who would rather avoid conflict. I would typically count myself among those who would rather avoid conflict if I can. Many of us don't love to stir up trouble or make waves. We prefer to be nice, you know? You know, you're church people, you're nice. But that's the thing. Jesus is calling all his disciples, including the argumentative ones and the nice ones. He sends them all out to do this work, not because it's a burden that all his followers have to bear together, whether you like it or not, but because actually this is good news. Proclaiming God's kingdom through acts of mercy and love for all, that's how we, each and every one of us, and together all of us, together discover true life. The kind of life that's big and broad, not small and scarce. The kind that's deep and eternal and shared. And it's a relief and it's guiltless. 
Like, yeah, doing this work, being sent out by Jesus, yeah, it stirs up trouble and it makes waves. And that is uncomfortable sometimes, especially for the conflict averse. But how does he say it? Those who lose their own life for my sake will find it. In other words, those who lose their own preferences for remaining quiet, maybe doing and saying nothing about or for the meek or the hungry or the other, which then allows the powerful and the privileged and the self-righteous to go unchecked, just keeping the good news for ourselves, that doesn't lead to true life. That's how the good news becomes dead end. But those who lose their own version of life for the sake of Jesus, proclaiming God's kind of mercy and justice and grace and inclusion, those who boldly do that kind of work, which, yes, stirs up trouble, don't get stuck on that, those who boldly lose their own life for my sake will find true life. And that's the good news. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing some good news.